The claims people make about themselves force us to decide about force us to decide about their claims. Do we believe this claim or do we not? The decision we make about the claims they've made lead us to make a decision about the person, about their character, who they are and what they're like. Are they truthful? Are they a liar? Are they just delusional? The bigger the claims, the more our decision will affect our view of the person. Anytime someone makes a claim about themselves, those who hear it decide about the claim and they decide about the person. So, for example, let's say I were to say I could bench press 200 pounds. You may believe that. You may think that's possible. I could. But if I said I've won the world's strongest man competition five years in a row, it's doubtful you would believe that statement. And not only would you not believe that statement, your disbelief in that statement would lead you to make conclusions about my character, my nature, who I am, and what I'm like. Right? When a person makes a claim about themselves, we decide about that claim. And our decision about the claim shapes partially or fully our view of the character and the nature of the person who made the claim. Now this is important. To understand because Jesus made significant claims about himself. And the claims Jesus made are huge. And they force us to make a decision about the claims and the person who made these claims. Now the decisions we make about the claims of Jesus and the character of Jesus are not minor decisions. They are life-changing decisions. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said about our response to the claims of Jesus. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the foolish thing people often say about Jesus. And here's the statement. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Lewis says, that is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be a lunatic. On the level of a man who says he's a poached egg. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God. Or else a madman. Or something worse. You can shut Jesus up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. If the claims Jesus made about himself are false, then he is of no importance to anyone ever. However, if the claims Jesus made about himself are true, then he is of utmost importance to everyone everywhere. The only thing Jesus cannot be is of moderate importance. And one of the hallmarks of Jesus' teaching was it brings people to the point where they must decide. They must decide about what he's saying, and then they must decide about the one who has made the saying. Those who heard Jesus' teaching had to decide whether they believed what he said or not. And this decision about whether or not they believed what he said would determine how they responded to him. Would they follow him? Would they ignore him or would they despise him? Today we'll see 
the ways we can respond to Jesus and what those responses say about us. Open your Bible to Luke, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 3. I'm going to read in verse 20 through 35. should be on page 763 in your pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Mark 3 and 20. And he came home and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. And when his own people heard about this, they came out to take custody of him, for they were saying he has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying he is possessed by Beelzebul and he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And so he called them to himself and he began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, it cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first ties up the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons and daughters of men. But whoever blasphemies, whatever blasphemies they commit, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin because they were saying he had an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came and while standing outside, they sent word to him calling for him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who were sitting around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, this is my brother and sister and mother. The title of the message this morning is responding to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. Thank you for the privilege we have of gathering, studying your word, Lord, and getting to learn about who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. Father, we need you today to guide us in this. We need you to let your Holy Spirit come. Open our minds to understand your word. Open our minds to understand what this means for us and how we need to apply it in our lives. Father, examine us and see how our lives demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. Let your spirit work in us to, to search our hearts and try us and see if there's anything in our lives that, that's not as it should be. Father, where there's something wrong, bring conviction and lead us to repentance and we'll turn from it. We'll repent of it, Father. We will lay it aside for we want to be your disciples. We want to be as holy as saved sinners can be. So work Purge from our hearts anything impure, anything that's not right. Fill me with your spirit this morning and give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. Help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory, we ask in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. At this point in history, Jesus has done quite a few things. And most of these things have hacked off the religious leaders. He has set people free from demonic possessions. He has healed the sick. He has set people. Um, he has 
made some pretty remarkable claims about himself. He has claimed to have authority to forgive sins in Mark 2, which is the authority of God alone. He has claimed to be Lord over the Sabbath in Mark 3, which is a claim of equality with Yahweh. At this point, people are beginning to respond to Jesus. They're making decisions about his claims and about Jesus himself. And their their decisions about his claims are evident in how they respond and how they live and the things they're doing. What's true of them is true of us. Our decision about Jesus is shown in our response to Jesus. Our decision about Jesus is shown in our response to Jesus. One of the, the truths we find over and over again through God's word is that saying something really isn't the same as that something being true. It's easy to say I'm a devoted disciple of Jesus. But does my life show that? It's easy to say Jesus is Lord. But does my life show that? It's easy to say, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back, as the song says. But does my life show this? It's easy to say, I've made a decision to trust Jesus. But does my life demonstrate this? Our decision about Jesus is ultimately shown in our response to Jesus. This passage shows us three possible responses to Jesus. First, we can limit Jesus. As Jesus taught and performed miracles, word began to get out. And this caused, we see in verse 20, crowds to gather to him to such an extent there wasn't time to eat. There were so many people to minister to, so much to say to them, so many things to do that there wasn't time to stop and eat. That The crowds wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. He was different than the religious leaders. The crowds came to Jesus because sometimes they were sick and they wanted the healing he could perform. Sometimes they came to Jesus because they or someone they loved was demonized and they wanted to be set free. And so word was getting around about him all over the region, not just locally, but all over the area to the point that eventually even his family back in his hometown began to hear about the things Jesus was saying. And the things Jesus was doing. Look at their response to this in verse 21. His own people means his family. Heard about this. They came to take custody of him. For they were saying he had lost his senses. They were going to come and take him home. The phrase take custody of him implies they were going to take him by force if necessary. They were going to do it because they thought Jesus was out of his mind. Now, why would they think Jesus was out of his mind? Well, he'd been trained as a carpenter and he had left his job as a carpenter to be an itinerant preacher. As such, he had no job and he seemed to just wandering around preaching, staying with others, depending on the kindness of strangers, as it were, to provide for his needs. But he hadn't merely become an itinerant preacher. He was also taking the position of a rabbi. He was calling disciples and making disciples. And he was doing this despite the fact he had no formal rabbinical training. He was drawing crowds. And what he taught went against the teachings and the traditions of the elders. He was making significant claims about himself. Like having the authority to forgive sins. Or being Lord over the Sabbath. 
And by doing these things, he hacked off the religious leaders who had almost all power and all authority over the the lives of the people around them. All of these things combined to convince his family he was crazy. So they were going to come and get him and take custody of him and take him home. Look down at verse 31. This is a continuation. Verse 21, this is what his family says as they head toward him. Then the scribes and the Pharisees have an interaction with Jesus. In verse 31, they arrive. And his mother and his brothers came while standing outside. They sent word to him, calling for him. And the crowd was standing around. And they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are outside looking for you. So they came and they went to where he was. But again, verse 20 tells us there was a crowd. They couldn't get into him. And so they are sending word through the people. Tell Jesus, his mom and brothers are outside looking for him. We want to talk to him. The word comes to Jesus, but he doesn't stop teaching. He doesn't change what he's doing. He continues to teach. Now, knowing that they're going to take him home because they think he's lost his senses, we can conclude what they're trying to do is limit Jesus. They want to limit what he says so he doesn't make any more crazy statements. They want to limit his influence by taking him home. So if he does make these statements, he can't make them to quite as many people. Now, they don't seem to have any animosity toward Jesus. Indeed, I believe what they're doing is is motivated by their love for him. They truly love him. They truly care for him. And they're concerned about the things he's saying and the things he's doing. Now, there, there may be some embarrassment. Their son is claiming to be the Messiah. He is making these claims about himself. But whatever the motivation, whatever's going on, what they're wanting to do is take him from the crowds, take him home and limit his ability to teach about the kingdom of God, to limit his ability to minister to people, to help people, to deliver people. One of the ways people can and do respond to Jesus is to try to limit him. Typically, they try to limit the things Jesus said. Because Jesus did make some difficult statements. So it's not uncommon for people to try to limit them so they'll fit better maybe with current culture. Or maybe they'll fit better with our limited mind. Or maybe they will fit better with our fleshly nature. Or maybe they just will make us a little more comfortable in our lives. Let me give you some examples. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, there is no path to God and thus salvation except through him. Now, loads of people want to limit what Jesus said here, what Jesus meant here. That They want to limit this by broadening the statement out to say, well, what it means is Jesus is, is a path. To the Father, not the path to the Father. Right? They, they want to say essentially all roads lead to heaven so long as these roads kind of make you a good person, so long as they make you moral. And, and if your path and your light makes you a better person, then it's leading to heaven. And Jesus is one of those ways. And these are statements seeking to limit Jesus. 
This isn't the only statement Jesus made that people want to limit. Jesus said, the one who believes in me is not judged. The one who does not believe has already been judged because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, this is similar to John 14, 6. It adds the idea of judgment or in other translations, condemnation. And it makes one thing true of condemnation. Everyone who does not believe in Jesus is condemned. And this is true whether the person is a good moral person or whether they're a vile sinner. This is true whether the person is religious or irreligious. This is true whether the person believes in multiple gods or no gods. Every person who does not believe in Jesus is condemned because they haven't believed in Jesus. Now, that's Jesus. That's what he said. So what people want to say is, I I don't think that's true. Jesus didn't mean everyone was condemned. He, He meant... And they begin to give all of these things that qualify this statement in ways it's not meant to be qualified. And in doing this, they're trying to to limit Jesus. They don't want this statement to be as narrow as it is. And so they want to limit Jesus. One more way and we'll move on. Jesus was saying to them all, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, this is the one who will save it. So Jesus says, anyone, so that's, that's everybody. If any person on the planet wants to be a disciple of Jesus, wants to come after him, there are things they must do. Among that is self-denial and daily cross-bearing. And living a life demonstrating they follow Jesus. So there is, there is no way to follow Jesus in a self-indulgent way. There is no way to follow Jesus in a way that doesn't take up our cross. There is no way to, to follow Jesus that isn't about following Him. Now we have a choice to save our life. And by saving our life, what it means there is... By living an indulgent lifestyle, not denying ourselves, not taking our cross, not following Jesus, that's saving our lives for ourselves. And in the process, we, we lose our souls. We lose. But if we lose our life for His sake, by denying ourselves, taking up His cross, and following Him, that's where salvation is found. But many want to live a self-indulgent lifestyle and still want to be followers of Jesus. Many want to to live a life that is devoted to themselves and their whims and their wants and their ultimate desires and still claim to be followers of Christ. They still want to claim heaven as their home. But Jesus says this simply is not possible. To be his disciple, to be born again, it means living a life of self-denial. It means living a life of cross-bearing. It means following Him and losing our lives in the process. And anyone who teaches anything different than what Jesus said there hasn't found a, a deeper revelation. They haven't found a, a way the Greek words mean something it's never meant for the last 2,000 years. What they are doing is they're seeking to limit Jesus. 
You see, they've, they've decided about Jesus. They've decided about His teaching in these cases. His teaching is too hard. And so they respond to the too hard teaching by trying to limit who Jesus is, what Jesus demands, and what Jesus is worth. Time wouldn't permit me to list all the ways people seek to limit Jesus in our day, but it is tragically common. And it is tragically common for those who profess faith in Jesus. Not all, but many who profess faith in Jesus. Most who would say they are believers in Jesus and then try to limit the way what these statements mean. They're not necessarily hostile toward Jesus. They profess faith in Jesus. They'll say they love Jesus. They'll even profess a desire to live for Jesus. But they've determined, they've decided Jesus isn't worth that kind of a life. Jesus can't be trusted to mean what he says or to say what he means. And so they respond by giving you all sorts of reasons why certain things Jesus taught don't mean what Jesus said they meant. They can explain why their lifestyle of rebellion against the words of Jesus is not a lifestyle of rebellion, but is a higher understanding of grace, a deeper understanding of God's word. But all it really is, is they've made a decision about Jesus and it is shown in their response, a response to limit Jesus. So we can limit Jesus, but we can also misrepresent Jesus. Where Jesus' family thought he had lost his mind, the religious leaders had a different conclusion. Look at verse 22. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying he's possessed by Beelzebul. He casts out the demons by the ruler of demons. So his family thinks he's lost his mind and they want to limit him. The religious leaders accuse him of being demonized. Beelzebul was a Canaanite god often used to symbolically denote Satan. They're saying Jesus is in league with the devil. All the miraculous stuff Jesus is doing, particularly casting out demons, is done by the power of Satan. I mean, they can't deny the power of Jesus. People are legitimately being healed. Demons are legitimately being cast out of people. They are being set free. So there's no denying his power. But at the same time, they cannot say his power is as Luke chapter 4 claims, comes from the anointing of the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel, heal the brokenhearted, set at liberty those who are oppressed. They can't deny His power. That's to deny reality and no one will listen to them if they say Jesus isn't doing anything. They can see it, they know. But they can't accept His power. Because if they accept His power and His teaching that it comes from God, then, then they are forced to submit themselves to Him. Right? If... He is doing these things. He is from God. He knows God. He is right in what He says. And we must accept Him and submit to Him. But they don't want to do that either. So what they do is they choose to misrepresent Jesus. They don't deny the power. They don't accept the power. They misrepresent Him. They tell everyone He is demonized. This enables them to dismiss him out of hand without giving any real thought to anything he says or does. Sure, Jesus is gathering a crowd. 
Sure, he's doing miraculous things, but he's in league with the devil. Of course he can do that. That's just demonic signs and wonders. And if this charge sticks, the crowds will begin to thin out. His ministry will be terribly undermined. And the religious leaders will be able to go on doing what they've always done. No changes, no complications, nothing to make them a little uncomfortable. Now, Jesus responds to these attacks with a series of parables. Verse 23, he calls them to himself and he begins speaking to them in parables, saying, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. Jesus says Satan doesn't attack himself. The kingdom of darkness doesn't advance by fighting itself, by interfighting. Instead, what's going on is the kingdom, well, the way the kingdom of darkness advances is it advances by ruling and reigning in the hearts and the minds of people. Satan advances his kingdom not by fighting against himself and casting out demons from other people, but by finding more people they can enslave, more people they can demonize, more people they can demonically oppress. What Jesus has done has been freeing people and pushing back the kingdom of darkness rather than advancing the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of Satan cannot advance, it cannot stand if it's in war against itself. He goes on in verse 27 and says, But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he, true, unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he will plunder his house. Jesus goes on to say, Since Satan is attacking himself, isn't attacking himself, something else is going on. The only way someone could be freed from the power of Satan is if someone stronger than Satan was there. And they were able to overcome the power of Satan in the person's life, which is exactly what's going on. Satan in this instance is the strong man. And someone stronger than the strong man has come upon the scene and he is plundering. He is tying up the strong man and plundering his house. This is what Jesus is doing by setting captives free. This is what Jesus is doing by casting demons out of the people. Rather than the kingdom of darkness trying to advance and war against itself, the kingdom of God has come into direct conflict with the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God is winning. The kingdom of God is advancing over the kingdom of darkness because the kingdom of God is far mightier than the kingdom of darkness because the king... Of the kingdom of God is far mightier than the king of the kingdom of darkness. So these folks misrepresent Jesus, who he is, what he was doing. They were doing this for their own agenda. There's nothing, I think, in the Gospels that would lead me to believe they truly believed Jesus was in league with the devil. I believe this was a way to slander him, a way to misrepresent him. This was for their agenda. They were losing influence. They were losing power. People were going to him instead of them. This wasn't an accident. It wasn't a misunderstanding. They were intentionally misrepresenting Jesus to further their own ends, to further their own agenda. You see this quite a bit in our culture as well. You see it in politics. Every side in a political discussion can explain why Jesus is on their side. And when you look at them and you listen to them talk, you think Jesus must be schizophrenic. Because he's pro-abortion and he's pro-choice. He's pro-build the wall and he's pro-open borders. Jesus was for Biden. 
Jesus was for Bernie. Jesus was for Trump. And what you find is to make it so Jesus is on a particular side, those making this assertion have to twist God's word to fit their agenda. And in doing so, they misrepresent Jesus. You see it in religious circles. You see it in very liberal groups. They write loads of articles and books explaining why Jesus never intended for anyone to think he's the only way. Why Jesus is okay with homosexuality and the transgender stuff. Why Jesus is okay with people worshiping any God they want to so long as they're good people. You see it in the more legalistic Christian groups who write articles and books explaining why Jesus wants you to use a particular version of the Bible. Why Jesus says you must sing a particular kind of music. Why you must dress in a particular kind of way. Why Jesus is against interracial marriage. And why Jesus basically hates everyone that they hate. What you find is on both sides, whether conservative or liberal, politics and religion, to make it so Jesus holds their preferences and their positions, those making the assertions have to twist God's word to fit their agenda. And in so doing, they misrepresent they misrepresent Jesus. There are many ways this is seen every day in our culture. And in every one of these ways, people are twisting God's word to ensure Jesus is on their side. They are willing to misrepresent Jesus so it appears Jesus is for what they're for and Jesus is against what they're against. They have decided about Jesus too. He's not Lord in their lives. Jesus is a weapon they can use against their enemies. And their decision about Jesus is shown in their response to Jesus. A response to willingly and intentionally misrepresent him to fit their agenda. We can limit Jesus. We can misrepresent Jesus. Or we can follow Jesus. In verse 33, we see a part of the story when Jesus' family, they get to him. They send word to him. At first, he seems to ignore it. But finally, the people say, hey, your family's outside and they're looking for you. Now, look at what Jesus says. Answering them, he said, who are my brothers, my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those sitting around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Now, Matthew's account says that he, looking around, it says he motioned to his disciples. So he's not just looking around the crowds who are gathered there. He intentionally focuses on his disciples. And he says, these, they're my family. The ones who are doing the will of God, they are my brothers, my sisters, and my mothers. They are my family. Jesus' family is made up of people who have received Jesus as Savior and Lord. Jesus' family is made up of people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus. Jesus' family is made up of people who have made a conscious decision to believe Jesus and then to follow Jesus. These are His family. This is how we can respond. When we believe Jesus and we follow Jesus, I mean, that's just the way it has to go. If I truly believe the claims God's word gives us about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Then following him is the only logical, rational 
response. Because think of what we're saying. When we say, I believe in Jesus, I've decided he is who God's word says he is. And he did what God's word said he did. This means Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. So not just a man, not just a prophet, God in the flesh who came to dwell among us. God who came to earth. Right? He, he didn't live up above us and, and choose to do something. He came down among us to live here. And when He was here, He lived a sinless life. He never disobeyed the Father, not in thought, in attitude, in action. His values and His priorities were always exactly what the Father wanted Him to do. And despite the good He did, He died on the cross. But His death wasn't an accident. It wasn't that He made the religious leaders mad and so they found a way to get to Him. The death on the cross was the point. It's the reason He came. He came to be the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world to take away the sins of the world. He died on the cross for your sins and mine. He paid the penalty our sins deserve. And He hung on the cross until He cried out, It is finished. And then He gave up the ghost and He died. And He was taken off the cross and He laid in a tomb for three days. And on the third day, he rose again, proved himself alive by many infallible proofs. He ate fish. He let people touch him. They knew he was a physically resurrected Jesus, not a spirit, not an emotional thing, but a literal bodily resurrection of Christ. He taught them for about 40 days. He ascended into heaven where he stands at the Father's Right hand, interceding for you and I. He is the one who poured the Holy Spirit out upon the church. He is the one who sent the Holy Spirit to deal in your heart and mind to call us to Himself. He reached out to us individually, called us by name. Not because He had to, but because He wanted to. He wanted us to be with Him. And as we responded, His Spirit came upon us in a new way and made us into entirely new creations. To such an extent, the old is gone, the new has come, our sins are forgiven, and there is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus forevermore. Amen and amen. He left His Holy Spirit within us to be a promise a down payment on all the good that would come to us through Him. He supernaturally empowers us to do His will. He gives us life and life more abundantly. He will one day take us home to be with heaven, to be in heaven where we will be with Him for all of eternity. He does all of these things and more. If I believe Jesus did those things, if I decide all of those statements are true about who Jesus is and what Jesus did for me, how could I not follow Him? That, that is not a legitimate and a, and a rational response. If we decide those statements are true, 
And so we believe in Jesus. The proof of our decision will be seen. in our response. Devoting our lives. To do the will of the one. Who is and has done. All of those things for us. Jesus. Always expected people to respond to his preaching and teaching. His preaching and teaching always demanded a response. He always brought people to a place where they had a decision to make. They could decide to receive him and his message. Or they could decide to reject him and his message. But those were really the only two options available to them. He called people to himself. And then he let them decide if they would answer his call. We must decide about Jesus as well. We must decide because everyone decides. Every person who hears the message of Jesus decides about Jesus. There is no neutral decision. In Luke 11.23, Jesus said, Those who were not with him were against him. And those who were not working with him were actually working against him. Jesus says there is no in between. Everyone decides. But this isn't a a one time decision. We decide all the time. Jesus said, take up your cross daily. Every day at a minimum, we decide. And our decision is seen in our response and how we live and in what we do. Everyone decides all the time. If you've decided about Jesus at some point in the past, today you will decide about Jesus again. Tomorrow you will decide about Jesus again. And every day and every moment upon moment in our lives, we will decide about Jesus. Not only does everyone decide, but... Everyone is either in or out. Everyone decides about Jesus and this decision determines whether one is in or out. You could say it is saved or lost. There is no third option. Right? Notice what Jesus says to him. His family comes, but he doesn't go out. When they told his family is out there, he still doesn't go out. He says his real family are those who have devoted their lives to him, who do The will of the Father along with Him. His family is not a family by physical birth, but a family by spiritual birth. In fact, even those who are related to Him by natural birth would at some point have to decide about Him. And that decision would determine whether or not they were in or whether they were out. The same was true with the religious leaders who misrepresented Him. Look at verse 28 and 29. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the sons and daughters of mankind, and whoever bla- and whatever blasphemies they commit. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he had an unclean spirit. Jesus gets very serious with them, tells them their accusations, their misrepresentations were spiritually dangerous. To attribute to Satan the works of the Holy Spirit was to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Other types of sins would be forgiven. Even other types of blasphemy would be forgiven. But to blaspheme the Holy Spirit was to commit a sin that would never be forgiven and make one subject to eternal damnation. He's making them think about what they say. 
He's telling them, you're either in or you're out. That's what he tells his family who has come to him. You're either in or you're out. And I know that's not that sort of binary decision isn't popular in our culture. Our culture likes gray. Our culture likes the sort of nebulous, feel-good kind of thing. But, but we're not given that option. We're given the option that we're saved or lost. We're going to heaven or hell. We're in Christ or we're out of Christ. We're condemned or we're not condemned. That's it. I mean, those are literally the only options we're given in God's Word. And any other decision we may think there is either comes from someone trying to limit Jesus... Or it comes from someone intentionally misrepresenting Jesus. But if we take him at his word, our decision determines whether we're in, whether we're out. We all decide about Jesus and this decision determines whether we're in, whether we're out. I said in my introduction, if the claims of Jesus are false, he's of no importance. We just about close the church, sleep in on Sunday. Watch Desperate Housewives on Wednesday. There's just no real point to what we're doing here. It's useless. If the claims of Jesus are true, He is of ultimate importance. And we should examine our lives constantly to make sure we are giving Him the level of devotion He deserves for being the one who has done what He has done for us. The only thing Jesus cannot legitimately be in our lives is of moderate importance being a lukewarm half-hearted Christian is really kind of an oxymoron being like the church at Sardis that lives more in the past than in the present or the future isn't a legitimate option Jesus cannot be moderately important not if he is who he says he is And if he's not, then he's not even moderately important. So we have to decide. Is Jesus who he says he is? Did he do what God's word says he did? And if we decide, yes, that's the way it is. Then that decision will be seen in our response. How we respond on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis. So for all of us, I think there is a need to examine ourselves. A need to respond or to think about these truths in, in two ways. First is on a personal level. What is my decision about Jesus? And how is this decision about Jesus seen in my response to Jesus? Do I seek to limit Jesus by minimizing his teaching or finding justification for my sin or my irreligion or my lukewarmness or my resting in the past rather than the present? Do I misrepresent Jesus so I can ensure he likes all the people I like and dislikes all the people I dislike so that he has all the same preferences and standards and convictions I have and he votes the way I vote? Or do I follow Jesus, deny myself, take up my cross daily, follow him to the losing of my life and saving of my soul? Which of these do you see in your life? Which of these do I see in my life? Examination has to start there on a personal level. But 
As disciples of Jesus, we're meant to make disciples of all nations. So it can't stop there. So think about the people we know and love. People we care about in our lives. Everyone we know decides about Jesus. And everyone we know is either in or out. And everyone we know, their decision about Jesus is seen in their response to Jesus. Do they seek to minimize Jesus and seek to limit Jesus by minimizing his teaching? Finding justifications for their sin, their irreligion, their lukewarmness. They're living in the past rather than in the present. Do they misrepresent Jesus so they can ensure he likes all the people they like, dislikes all the people they dislike, votes the way they vote, and has the same preferences, convictions, and standards they have? Or do they follow Jesus by denying themselves, taking up their cross daily, following him to the losing of their life and the saving of their soul? Which one of these do we see in their lives? Now, what we're tempted to do if we don't see that, to follow Jesus, is we're tempted to say, I don't want to judge. That's not judging. To go, here's what the Bible says should be in the life of a person who believes in Jesus. And I don't see this in their life. Isn't judging. Judging is to say, I think to come to church on a Sunday, you should wear a tie. And everybody that's not, every man in church that's not wearing a tie is a dirty sinner, at least doesn't love Jesus as much as I do. That's judging. To say you can't live in sin and follow Jesus isn't judging. To say you can't live a self-indulgent life and follow Jesus isn't judging. That's just saying what the Bible says. Second, we want to say is, well, I can't judge the heart, which sounds so spiritual and pretty, but it's also not true. Jesus says that what's in the heart, it's seen in our lives. It's seen in the words we say and the actions we take. So if someone, for instance, tries to limit Jesus by minimizing his teaching, finding justification for their sin, their irreligion, their lukewarmness, or their living in the past, that's an overflow of their heart. Their heart is not right with God. We can see that. Or if someone has misrepresented Jesus so that he hates all the people they hate, he loves all the people they love, he votes the way they vote, and he has all of their same preferences and standards and convictions, that's the overflow of their heart, and we can see that. The whole statement, I can, we can't judge the heart, it is not biblically accurate. And it is not helpful. What it does is it alleviates our conscience. And it frees us from any responsibility. Meanwhile, it leaves them damned, heading to hell while we feel good about it. God, help us not to choose the path of a clear conscience over the path of being biblically accurate. What do we see in the lives of those we love and we care about? So we need time now to respond to the message. Start by examining our own lives. Deep. Legitimate introspection, praying for the Spirit of God to search our hearts, to search our lives, to test us and see what's there, and responding to that. And in many cases, we already know what we see or don't see in the lives of others. And we need to pray two ways. One, pray one for God to help us to take the word at face value 
and not try to soothe our own conscience. And two, for God to work in their hearts and in their lives so they decide for Jesus and they're in rather than out. So what, you want you to stand? At a time of response, you can come forward and pray where you are. Where you pray is not nearly as important as what you're doing. So have a time to pray and then when we're through, we'll move on.